Hello, everyone. We're on the eve of potentially one of the most important strikes of our lifetime, where we stand to get back everything that we lost during bankruptcy. Brothers and sisters, it's time to be made whole. We're here today to go over some basic frequently asked questions with y'all to get you ready for this strike and talk about some of the lessons from the General Motors strike of 2019. So without further ado, Jesse, what is a strike? A strike is where we collectively withhold our labor. This is extremely important moving forward so that we can send a message to the companies that they're no longer going to exploit us and we're willing to withhold our labor until we get our fair share of the pie. I like it. So how much is UAW strike assistance and how often is it paid? So strike assistance is now $500 per week. That was won at the last constitutional convention. Well, it was fought at the last constitutional convention. And then later, the International Executive Board approved it. And it's also now going to start on the first day of strike, which was something that we won actually at the um, constitutional convention. So we will get $500 a week. It will be prorated to $100 a day for every day missed Monday through Friday. Fantastic. And we all got to worry about benefits, right? So tell us about what kind of medical benefits will be covered during the strike. And also, when do our benefits run out? So our company paid benefits will typically run out at the last day of the month that a strike is called. So for us specifically at this time, if we go out on strike on September 14th at 11.59 p.m., we should essentially have benefits until the end of the month. However, during the 2019 strike, we seen that General Motors, in a fit of anger, pulled our benefits even though there was absolutely no incentive to do that. So they did end up pulling our benefits a little bit early, so we always have to be prepared for that possibility and that retaliation. So the benefits that will be covered under the Strike and Defense Fund will be medical and prescription drugs. We will not cover vision or dental. I'm hoping that every member got the memos and got their dental appointments in and their vision appointments in, but we will cover medical and prescription drugs. If you are a member that has extensive medical bills right now, or somebody in your family that's covered under your health insurance has extensive medical bills, that looks like chemo or radiation or a surgery or a pregnancy, then you will bring your COBRA bill to the hall when it's time for you to sign up and you will continue under COBRA. Other members um, that just need medical and prescription will come in and we'll get you signed up on the union's plan. So who is eligible for strike benefits? Everybody that is a member in good standing is eligible for strike benefits. So that means as long as you are a member in good standing, you're on active payroll. Um, What on active payroll means is that if you are on medical leave, you will not be eligible because you will not go on a strike until you're back from your medical leave. Um, If you're on layoff, you will not go on a strike with us until they have communicated back to you that you're no longer on a layoff. But if you are a member and you're participating in the strike and you're doing your due diligence and you're doing your duty, then you will be eligible for strike pay and benefits. Nice. So pretty much anybody who's in good standing, they're going to be eligible. That's absolutely correct. That includes temporary employees and brand new hires. Fantastic. So how do I apply for these strike benefits? So once a strike is called, the International Union will communicate to the leadership of Local 160, and we will send out on the text messaging program as well on our website and through social media the appropriate times for each individual to come to the hall and sign up for their strike pay and their benefits. 
Cool, cool. So what about, let's say 500 bucks a week isn't enough for me and I want to go out and get another job to support my family. Uh, what kind of stipulations are there around getting another job uh, while we're on strike? Any member that wants to get another job can absolutely do so. The stipulation is that if you make over $500 a week, um, that you're pay will cease with the strike and defense fund, but your medical insurance will continue. So as long as you're doing your duty on the strike line, we will keep you and your family covered under medical. But if you make more than $500 at the other job, we do ask that you let us know, you inform us, and so that that pay will stop. This is just so that we can protect the strike and defense fund and stay out as long as possible and as long as needed to get an agreement that makes sense for everybody. All right. So Let's say, hypothetically, my wages are garnished for child support. What will happen uh, with my strike pay? So if the courts notify the UAW, the international UAW, they will start garnishing it. However, this can take a, a quite some time, um, and this can be a lengthy process. So we do ask that people take into consideration that if they have any garnishments, they set up different means of paying those so that there's not penalties or um, any reprimands done because that isn't something that's going to be coming out of their check. So let's say I have a loan out on my 401k. What's the scenario there? What should I do? If you have a loan out on your 401k, we ask that you visit the mynetbenefits.com. You can actually make direct payments right from that website to take care of your loan. Again, this will just help any member avoid penalties or avoid going into any kind of deferment, I think is the word that they use for it. But you just you just don't want to get in trouble for not paying the loans that you said you were going to pay in a timely fashion and then have to deal with different kinds of fees and penalties. So... How can I receive my strike paycheck? Is it mailed to me? Do I got to go to the hall to pick it up? How do things work like that? So we're very, very lucky. This time around, unlike in 2019, we're going to have direct deposit. So this is a huge bit of news that we got at the um, strike conference recently, and everyone is very ecstatic about it. Not only does it save hundreds and thousands of dollars for the international union by not having to print paper check, but it helps our members because they no longer have to drive all the way to the hall to pick up their paper checks on a day where maybe they weren't assigned to do strike duty. So even though it's a little bit more work um, and a little bit more planning on the front end to make sure everybody's signed up, we're going to make sure that everybody's signed up and then you will have direct deposit right into your bank account. Convenient. I like it. No, what about the tax, man? They got to get their cut, right? What's the story there? So taxes will not come out of your strike pay immediately. You will be put on a 1099 if we are on strike for longer than two weeks because anything over $600 gets put on a 1099 miscellaneous form that you will have to file at the end of the year. So since we get $500 a week, that means if we're on strike for longer than two weeks, please be advised and keep a lookout for that 1099 when it's time to file taxes. So hypothetically speaking, and, and heaven forbid anyone actually seriously considers this, but what if you decide to be a POS scab? What would you do there? What, what are the implications of scabbing out on your coworkers? If any members decide to cross the strike line, I hope that they are well aware that we are not on strike for just us, but we are on strike for the whole middle class and every generation that comes after us. And we should all have a moral compass to make sure that we honor those sacrifices that those members are making for a better society and more equitable situation for everybody living in America. However, we do know that sometimes people don't always think about the bigger picture and somebody might want to cross the picket line. 
if that were to happen, then it is essential that everybody here knows that you will be subject to Article 31 charges inside of the UAW Constitution. If you're unaware of Article 31 charges, I definitely would take this time to read them and understand them and tell your brothers and sisters about them. Yeah, it means you get the boot. You're done. You ain't a member anymore. So what about union dues? Do I got to pay union dues out of my uh, strike pay? You sure don't. Sweet. So now on September 14th, coming up here, I mean, we're talking about this Thursday at 11.59 p.m. What is going to happen? That is the question in everyone's mind. What is going to happen? Unfortunately, right now, the only person that has the answers to those questions are the companies because we have been very honest and very forthcoming about exactly what we want. So it is going to be up to them what happens because either they will give us what we want and what we are owed or they will make us fight for it and we will do what we have to do. So... Local 160 will communicate through the text messaging system and the website on the status of the contract talks. If a tentative agreement is in place, we will update you on the tentative agreement information rollout as well as when and how to vote. If an extension is announced, we will give you the new expiration date and time. It's important to note that President Champagne has repeatedly said that this is a deadline and not a reference point, so an extension seems unlikely at this time. If it is necessary to strike, we will update you on when to arrive for your strike duties, and please check out the website for your strike schedule that is posted now. There's also a possibility that we work on an expired contract. If this were to occur, more information from the International Union will be made available to the membership shortly. If you are at work when a strike is called, please punch out and leave the workplace in a safe and orderly fashion. Call your local representatives for more information if needed. Mm -mm. And so what are the official channels we should be looking to to determine whether or not we're actually going out on strike? Um, The text messaging program is going to be the number one thing that I hope Local 160 members are aware of, that they're participating in. It is the easiest and most efficient way for Local 160 leadership to reach every single member at the same exact time with the same exact information. So if you are not on the text messaging system, I really encourage you to be on it. It will be just a wealth of information coming up here in the next week or so. If a strike were to occur, this is exactly how we will tell you how to sign up for your benefits what your strike duties are, if we have a tentative agreement, when we're going to vote on and hear about our tentative agreement. So it's just a really, really important thing to do moving forward is to be part of that text messaging system. Some members are having issues with the text messaging system. We share a text messaging system with the International Union, and there has been an uptick in activity because of everything that is going on. So some members are not getting every message. If you are one of these members... I really, really recommend that you send an email to our president, David Small. His email is david at uawlocal160.org. Write the message that maybe you're not sure if you're getting all of the messages. And what he can do is on the back end of the program, make sure that you are active and that everything is okay on our end. There are also some members that might have to go into their text messaging system settings and allow for SMS mass text messages to come through. If you are one of these members, again, you can call me, you can call Dave Small, you can look to maybe some other co-workers in your areas, other members, and we'll make sure that you're all set up. If you do not want to use the text messaging system, then I also ask that you check the website frequently and the social media pages frequently because we will try to keep everybody updated those ways too. 
And now I want to emphasize, too, for those of you who are not part of UAW Local 160, talk to your elected leadership. Talk to your officials. Don't just go off of rumors. Don't go off of social media. Talk to officially elected folks at your local to find out what exactly is going on. Don't just take the initiative on your own because that could get you in a whole heap of trouble. Remember, we don't just act as one, we act as a unit. And to act as a unit, we have to communicate. So how am I going to know where I'm supposed to strike? What is my gate? What are my times? Uh, What's the organizational process behind all that? So we will communicate with you through the website on what your times and what your bus is and what your schedule is. Local 160 members will fall into one of three schedules. We canvassed for this throughout the last three weeks. So members will either be the green schedule, which is Monday through Thursday, or a pink and blue schedule, which is alternating weekends. Depending on what your strike schedule is, you will have a time frame of either four hours to eight hours. We will make sure that this information is posted on the website and on social media again. And the website will be reflective of everybody scheduled times by the time this podcast is posted. So look on the website, be aware of your times. And, you know, we'll all get through this together if we all actively participate and we all do our part. And because we're doing direct deposit, I know you you mentioned earlier, we have to do a lot of work on the front end to make sure that we get our pay properly. So what are the documents and things that we need to bring along with us to make sure that we get paid properly? Yes. So there are going to be a lot of documents that you have to bring in when it is time to sign up for your strike pay and benefits. Again, this will happen after a strike is called. The International Union will have possibly up to 140,000 members that they have to sign up immediately. So it is important to know that this does not mean that we will immediately sign up for strike Uh, pay and benefits, it could take up to three weeks. So once we get our time that's coordinated with the International Union, we will reach out to you guys to let you know what time you can come up to the hall. And you will have to bring your state-issued ID, your home address, your bank account number, and routing number, your social security card. I heard a lot of questions on the social security card. If you do not have your social security card, please make sure you have your social security number, your date of birth, and then For your dependents or anybody else that is on your health insurance, you're going to need their legal name, their birth date, and their social security numbers. All right. So that's pretty much all the frequently asked questions that we have. You know, basically what I want to go over after that is just what it was like in 2019. You know, Jesse and I, we both were on strike during that time against General Motors trying to fight for a fair agreement. We didn't quite get everything that we had hoped for at the time, but it was still an interesting experience and maybe could shed some light on what a strike might be potentially like for those of you who did not go out on strike during 2019. And the first thing, you know, I really want to emphasize is that we got to keep in mind what we're fighting for. Keep your eyes on the prize, you know. It's about equality more than anything else. We have to come together. We have, in order to push together as a union, we all have to be on the same level playing field, you know. That means no more tears. That means justice for our temporary part-time workers. That means justice for our uh, sanitation workers, our Aramark people. That means justice for our GM subsystems people. All these folks that have been broken off and separated need to be brought under the master agreement and be in the same bargaining unit because that's the only way we're going to make progress. So that's the number one thing I'm fighting for is equality in our union. And that's going to keep me motivated as we go forward and maybe in this huge historical event. How about you, Jesse? Yeah, I mean, I think it's exactly correct when people say that this is our defining moment. 
we're in a place in history right now where if we don't get it now, we're never going to get it. I mean, I don't think the landscape could be set up in a better situation for us than it is right now. We just watched historical gains at John Deere and at Teamsters, and we're so happy for our brothers and sisters. But we have a lot to gain back, too. Um, we gave away so much during the bankruptcies. We just gave away everything in hopes that there was going to be a reciprocated loyalty from these companies and that when times were better, they were going to share in the glory of that, and they never did. And we have to fight for that now and we have to fight for the things that we deserve and you know we're not asking for a lot we're asking for a pension we're asking that after years and years of service to a company that that they're loyal back to us and they make sure that we can enjoy our time when when we're done serving them when it's when we're too old to to work and too young to die that we have you know our glory years um, allotted to us we need health insurance after retirement these jobs can be extremely taxing on on our bodies and we breathe in chemicals and we're exposed to a bunch of different things that, you know, maybe isn't the best for us. And we're going to have to deal with those repercussions when we're older. And it's a risk that every single one of us take all day. And all we're saying in return is we need health insurance after we retire to make sure that we're okay. Again, wage rates, right? Every one of our classifications need massive wage rate increases. Maintenance. Sometimes I just think about our maintenance brothers and sisters, and I think about how much they could make on the outside. And, you know, it's super unfortunate that they've been left behind for so long. Our two tiers, we have SSOs out there. We have SSOs that are doing material work for the same exact work for different amount of pay because of, you know, this quote unquote competitive agreement and because the competitive nature and the global competitiveness that they that they cite every contract. Now, SSOs, for those of you who are unaware, means Skilled support operators. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, and our SSOs definitely deserve some justice in this contract and and they deserve to see bigger wage increases than they've seen for for since they've been here, to be honest with you. And maybe in a, even a pathway for them to move up if that's what they desire and they wish. Um so there's a lot. There's a lot to be to be won. We're lucky that we don't have temporary employees at this specific site, but Please always keep in mind that our brothers and sisters at other sites are still battling the temporary employees and the exploitation of those workers. And like we've seen in a proposal from Ford, they're talking about unlimited temps. And this is something that these companies desire and they wish. They want to switch the majority of their workforce over into temporary employees. And there's nothing temporary about working years and years for a company. There's nothing temporary about our families and about the bills that we pay in our mortgages. So the word temporary shouldn't exist in our collective bargaining agreements. I knew people at Flint Truck that used to work six, seven years as temporary workers. I mean, it was so widespread. It was ridiculous. You know, I mean, it, that is not the definition of the word temporary. It's we've dishonest. Seen, we've seen that at the tech center where we had people upwards of five to six years as temporary employees get walked off one day. It's super upsetting. And these are these are exactly the things we're fighting for and the, the things that we need to win. So it is our defining moment. We have to do it now, and we can do it now, and we have the public support now in a way that we didn't in 2019, and we have a landscape in a way that we didn't, and we have a new leadership in a way that we didn't in 2019. So, you know, this isn't the 2019 strike. This is a new time, and I, I genuinely believe that we're going to win, but we'll only win if we stand in solidarity. Yep. Keep in mind all the benefits that your parents' generation and your grandparents' generation had, these, these pensions, health care and retirement, the good wages, all of that, that came from struggle. That came through class struggle and fighting together. It didn't. It wasn't given just out of the kindness of the heart of the company. So it's something we all have to keep in mind when we go forward in the struggle. If we want to have the same quality of life and the same opportunities, we have to fight for it, just like previous generations did. 
To me, the second lesson from 2019, the integrity of our leadership comes from a direct connection with the members. I think one of the biggest problems with the previous administration is, you know, they weren't really, they weren't elected, obviously. They didn't have a direct connection to the people on the shop floor. It was more of an opaque process that distanced the leadership from the membership. And now we have a situation where our leadership is popularly elected and they're going to be held accountable by the membership. And I think that's totally going to change change the dynamic in the strike and make it a lot more attentive to the needs and responsive to the demands of the people who are actually out on the picket line. And I think that the, the leadership of our union now is going to have a lot more integrity based on that connection with the people on the shop floor doing the work and putting themselves on the line quite literally. And something that we had talked about earlier, and this is something I, I don't feel like it could be stressed enough, private health insurance is a way to keep us in line. When you saw in 2019, one of the first things that they did was cut our insurance. That was a way to just to whip us into shape, to scare us, to say, hey, if you don't do what we say, if you don't make profit for the company, your whole family could go bankrupt. It's a way to control the populace. Right? We are the only country in the Western world that doesn't have national single-payer health care. And so what that translates into is we are stuck in our jobs when they have good health insurance. We don't have the freedom to move around. We don't have the freedom to strike because they can always hold that over our heads. If you act up, no one in your family can be taken care of or see the doctor anymore. And having single-payer health care would be a huge advantage, not just for us as individuals, but for the labor movement on the whole, because it would give us the freedom to, to strike when we want without worrying about that. And I think that really put it in stark relief in 2019 when uh, Barra decided to take that away from us at the last minute. And I completely agree. And I mean, there's a lot to be said on this and eventually, hopefully a whole episode to talk about our viewpoints and um, our opinions on this. But with that being said, I, I do want the, you know, the union brothers and sisters to be aware that it is an interesting topic to think about during negotiations because the amount of power and the amount of energy that is used at a negotiation table just to get through health insurance is astronomical. As I say to the new hire orientation, um, when I teach the new hire orientation classes, you know, we support our Canadian brothers and sisters and we want nothing but the best for them. And, and they also create a standard of living that is very, very important for the middle class. However, they don't have to expend all of their negotiation power just to get through health insurance because they do have universal health care in the same way that we do. We're already beat up a little bit by the time we get done with that, by the time we're we say, okay, all of our members get this insurance plan. And something that I find really interesting is that in these media releases that the big three is doing is they keep talking about the best health insurance plan. We offer the best health insurance plan out of all the other companies, right? Out of all the other companies in the United States of America. But is that totally true. I mean, is it better in comparison? Sure. But is it great? I would argue no. If you're a member out there that has a child with autism or you're a member out there that deals with allergies, I think you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's these gigantic holes inside of what's negotiated for us in health insurance and it's super unfortunate. So there's a lot of a growth and there's like a lot of things that we could still win even though they're, you know, throwing in our face that we have the best. That's not true in everyone's situation. I, and I know specifically for me, 
and some other mothers out there in our membership that we've had to even change and go to HAP or go to Blue Care Network because Blue Cross Blue Shield wasn't an, a good option for us and the things that we needed. So I think it's important to always keep that in mind too when they're talking about the great health insurance that they give us. Medicare for all, y'all. That's the way to go, I'm telling you. So the contractual right to honor picket lines. That's something that we passed at the uh, recent convention. This is something that really stuck out to me in the 2019 struggle, is that the day the strike started, it was just with Aramark. And we were told by the International Union to cross the picket line because they didn't have the foresight to coalesce the expiration dates of their contracts. And so we were in a situation to where we had to cross the picket lines of our union brothers and sisters that belong to the exact same local. Now me, I just I just burned a vacation day because I wasn't going to do that. And I went downtown and, and started protesting because this is, this that wasn't right. And that's something that we got to keep in mind, right? Honor picket lines. And that's one of the things that I was so happy to see that happen in the recent bargaining, the uh, Constitutional Convention. Yeah, the Special Bargaining Convention. Excuse was, me. Yeah, yes. it was honored there. But here's the thing. I mean, let's keep it real. If we're going to be real, let's keep it real. We're still in that same exact battle today. So even though we did say at the Special Bargaining Convention that this is important to UAW members, and this is something that we want to see addressed, we're going to have these same debates moving in in the next week or so here. Our Airmark brothers and sisters, do have the contractual right to honor our strike line, which is a very big deal. And we're very happy to see that language inside of their national agreement. However, our own international union has not been transparent and has not been informative on what that means for those members. So we do not know as of today, even 24 hours before a strike, if our Airmark brothers and sisters that are honoring our picket line will be paid strike pay and benefits. We do not know. And so we're asking for our brothers and sisters to do what's morally correct and, and honor our strike line. But we're really putting them in a bad situation while while we're asking that, too. So moving forward, I hope that we add a lot of pressure to the international leadership and we have answers for things like this because they pay into the strike and defense fund just like we do. And if they honor a strike line and they're willing to be out there sacrificing with us, they absolutely deserve the same strike pay and defense and health insurance that we get while we're on the strike line. So I hope to see that addressed here in the next few hours. And I hope to see that addressed on a larger scale that this has never has to be called into question and worried about literally hours before a strike is called. And I hope our Airmark brothers and sisters know that we're we're trying to bridge that and we're trying to create that relationship. And we want to negotiate for them to come back into our national agreement. And I hate that they spun off and I hate that we have third parties and LLCs and temps and all these creative ways that these companies come up with to divide us. You know, it's unfortunate we don't have an answer yet, but we don't. And the only way we might get an answer on this one is to hold our leadership accountable and to create a lot of uh, noise on the fact that, you know, here we are and we have no idea still. Well, what it comes down to is we got to support people in the struggle. And, and that means supporting people on the picket line, standing in solidarity with people on the picket line. That's what it all comes down to. So however we got to do that to make sure we can support our brothers and sisters and help them support us, that's what we got to do. Absolutely. So international solidarity, international whip sawing, we have to look out for that. Okay, we could demand the sun, the moon, and the stars and win it all and have a great contract. But what that does is that provides a fantastic incentive for the company to ship our jobs overseas. So we have to make sure that wherever the companies try to move our work, they are met with a robust, militant labor movement. Because what that does is that 
provides a disincentive for them to move our jobs elsewhere. And it also provides a better standard of living for the workers where they might potentially move our jobs. It gives us all a better life a better world to live in and creates real solidarity because as i've said before y'all the companies are global unless we're global we're not going to be able to beat them because they're always just going to move our jobs overseas so that's something that we have to keep in mind we have to think differently you know these companies don't have any loyalty to the us they don't have any loyalty to canada they have a loyalty to the bottom line and they're willing to move our jobs anywhere they have to in order to get that money and so we have to make sure the labor movement is on that same level. Otherwise, we're just going to lose. And I implore everybody to listen to our latest episode of Unity Gains because we talk about international whipsawing. We talk about this head on and our expiration dates coinciding with the Unifor expiration dates. And so, you know, educate yourself on this. And when we do get past a strike and when we do win a better standard of living for all of our brothers and sisters, the work isn't done then. So, you know, eventually we will have to, to talk about politics and we will have to talk about the people that we endorse. And it, it is you know, so important to acknowledge the fact that our international union for the first time ever hasn't put an endorsement out to a presidential candidate because we're in a position now where we're saying this is a defining moment inside of our history and we are done supporting candidates that do not support the working class. And they're going to have to prove to us now through their actions that they're with us before we just willingly give out endorsements and money to them. So this next couple of weeks will be very telling on the people that do want to work with the workers and they do support us through actions and not through just words. And we'll see how that shakes up their endorsements moving here. Yeah. Speaking of endorsements and politicians, I'm glad you brought that up because think of it this way. These companies get laws and resolutions passed on the federal and state level to support them outsourcing our jobs, to create and maintain international agreements that totally screw regular workers in this country. And so we have to expect the same thing, but from a working class perspective, we have to create laws and international treaties that favor and benefit the working class so we can all live a decent standard of, of life. We have to. And one of the ways that we can hold them accountable to do that is by making them work for and earn our endorsement. And that's one of the things that our newly elected international executive board has done. Make them earn it. Absolutely. I, and I think that's a great strategy because the labor movement has been taken for granted way too long. Organize food donations for proper storage. Okay, this is something that's kind of more in the minutia. People might not think it's that significant, but I'll tell you, based on my experience in 2019, the first couple of, of weeks, you're going to get a ton of of food donations. You're going to get pizza. You're going to get donuts. You're going to get a lot of community support. And it's beautiful and it's inspiring. And the last thing you want is to let that all go to waste. So my suggestion is make sure that you have some way to transport that food to your local so you can get it into refrigeration so that food can be safely stored and used by the membership. You don't want to just throw all that away. It's an insult to the, the good people that donate to us and try to help us out on the picket line. Um, I completely agree with this. One of the things that we did notice in 2019 was that the amount of outpour of support from a community was 
insane. And we are so, so thankful for it, but we were not prepared for it. So what we're trying to do now is to be prepared for the possibility of this happening again. So while you're out on the strike line, if somebody donates food, we will constantly have strike captains that will be in pickup trucks that can come and make sure that that food is equally distributed through everybody out on our strike lines. We're a little bit different here where we have 24 gates to cover. So we want to make sure that that donation reaches as many people as possible that are out on the strike lines and that it doesn't go to waste. Just like Sean said, if we need to get it into refrigeration, let's do that. If we need to get it into the kitchen to be prepped, we'll have kitchen support here. So let's do that. But we have to stay in constant communication with each other. If you are out on the strike line, give a call to the hall and we will make sure that we come and get that and that we handle it in a safe and appropriate way so that, you know, we can we can stretch that donation as much as possible and make sure that our members are taken care of. And if you're not a member and you're just somebody from the community listening to this right now and you do want to support us and you do want to donate and you do want to drop something off, just give a quick call to the hall and we'll tell you the best place to go so that we can try to coordinate our efforts, you know, and to make sure that donations are going to different gates at different times so that everybody is reached. And out of all my lessons of 2019, I think the last and maybe one of the most important lessons is a strike is not just about auto workers. A strike is about the entire working class and empowering the entire working class. A strike is an example of what we can do when we are united, right? And it doesn't have to just stop at auto workers. To me, one of the most inspiring ideas of the labor movement is with class solidarity and the potential of building towards a general strike where all workers in an area or in a country say, hey, unless you meet these demands that we have, we're out and the whole economy ceases to function. This is how we have power to forego working and making money for the rich. And we have the power if we choose to collectively use it to come together and say, no, we're not going to work in your factories. We're not going to work in your mines. We're not going to work in your restaurants. We're going to make sure that you meet these demands or we're not we're not making money for you anymore. And that's where our power lies, power in numbers. It's not just about auto workers. We need to grow this movement. It doesn't matter if you're white collar, blue collar. If you're an engineer working at the tech center, we need you to join the UAW. You're going to be better off than just griping online or thinking about things on your own or whispering to your coworkers. Be loud and proud. Join a collective organization because you're not going to have a target on your back in the same way if you're in a collective group that's working for you versus just an individual that has a problem. That's how we can move up our standard of living for the entire working class in our country. So so join a union. Let's work together to make this happen. It's not just about the UAW. It's not just about auto workers, but it's about demonstrating that we have power as a class and that when we come together, we can make our lives better. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, right? I mean, at the end of the day, it can all be summed up into we are fighting for a more equitable society. And if a pandemic didn't teach us anything, it taught us exactly who in the society is essential workers and who is keeping this country running, and that's the workers. And the workers deserve everything that they're asking for, and we've been left out for so long. The working class has been left out, and we are the essential workers, and we deserve this, and we need to collectively come together. And so, like Sean said, join a union if you need to make this sacrifice sacrifices of going out on a strike line to make sure that we have something good to leave the next generation. Let's go ahead and do that. But we do. We need to fight for a more equitable society because it's very off balance right now. And all we're trying to do is bring balance back to that. Well, that concludes our episode. Hope you all enjoyed it. Thanks for listening and I'll see you on the picket line. Okay.